Welcome to Rolling Valley Stories. In this episode, we have Taryn Fairchild, which you guys hear me say this every time. I'm super excited. I'm so excited to talk to Taryn. She has graciously volunteered to spend some time with us and tell us a little bit about her story and about her life. And so, Taryn, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's going to be fun to get to know you better. Thanks. I'm excited to share. Well, let's start with your childhood and where you grew up. Where are you from? I'm from North Carolina. You grew up there your whole childhood? For my first part to zero to 12, and then we went to the city from 12 to 15, and then we went back to the same exact house by chance, back to the country, and then I finished from there. What drove your family to North Carolina? They were in Utah, and they wanted to go out into the mission field. (laughs) (laughs) And they did. They were great examples and were good leaders to a struggling branch and lifted where they stood in North Carolina. So you grew up as a member of the church? Your, your whole family was members of the church? Yes. My parents both are converts. Okay. And my dad was the second of 12 children. And they had always been looking for the right church, you know, as he was growing up. And when they found the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they, they knew it. And whoever could got baptized. And he was the first one to go on a mission in their family, but he's got a fascinating background. And my mom, I think she was around 19 or so when she converted. So she was already off and doing her own thing. And then they met. They went to Florida for a while, started having their children. I'm five of nine. I was born in Payson and then they moved to North Carolina and then they had the rest of the children there. So you said you were five Uh of nine. (laughs) Yes, yeah. So what's the mix? Brothers, sisters? So sister, sister, brother. I can say it. It's funny. Okay. Tammy, Jody, David, Geneva, Taryn, Jesse, Logan, Lauren, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's really like three families. The oldest through me uh, and then the one just younger than me is the first clump. The middle three were its own family. And then the last, there was a six-year gap, and then the last three were their own family. But I get the sweet spot, I think, getting to know each end of the families (laughs) and pulling us together. And it's been really awesome. So what was it like growing up with nine kids in the house? Chaos, like a zoo. And it was always loud and I loved it. I thrived off of it. And then when I got married and moved away from home for the first time, it was silent. And it kind of drove me nuts. I, I needed to get out and whoa. So yeah, it was too quiet. So I love being around people. And just always had playmates, always had to share my room, even my bed at some points. You know, we would put a piece of tape. I remember I had a wrought iron bed with flower decorations and there was the certain middle flower and we put a piece of tape on it. And that's your side, Geneva, and this is my side. (laughs) Even with our bedroom at one point, we did that. (laughs) Were you more of a peacemaker in Mm. bringing the kids together? Mm -hmm. I am now. You are now. Yeah. (laughs) When I was a kid, I just did not pay attention to anything. I just, I was just living. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. What are we doing next? It was always good, fun times. But as an adult, I realized the older siblings went through more hard things. My parents actually were abusive. And as time went by, they got tired 
and they started lightening up. And so by the time the last three siblings were born, they didn't really relate to the older siblings and what we had experienced. And so, so I think they just had the residual parts of it. And so I think pulling us together, we've learned how to heal each other. Actually, we've mothered each other. I had my oldest sister was in charge of me. And I think now as an adult, she doesn't resent that. <laughs> now she's my friend. And then I've parented my younger siblings in a way too. It's just kind of been a, a domino effect in a way. And now I think we've gotten, we're all old enough now that we just, we feel like we're all the same age and just help each other heal. You use the word abusive. Were your parents abusive or strict? Abusive. Abusive. Yeah. And strict. <laughs> but yeah, I think because my dad's background, so his dad and his mom weren't all there. My grandpa was an artist and he was trying to raise 12 kids on that. And he wasn't all there on top of that. So they struggled. And you know, my aunts and uncles, my dad, they all lived off of fruit in Florida in a while. You know, Huckleberry Finn type situations where they were just running wild. And so there was just, I guess, a lot of mental illness involved and it came down the line. And my dad was strict and my parents were overbearing with the gospel, with everything. I wasn't allowed to think for myself and make choices. And so that was, and still is, a hard thing for me to get over. Yeah, it carries. It sounds like those years had a big effect on your mental health. How did you deal with that as a young child? I would run out to the woods and just be by myself. And I found solace out in the woods. And, I mean, that's where my siblings and I would play, too. But I could go anytime and just go be by myself. And I just felt God in nature. Do you think you and your siblings bonded together? Nope. It okay. was fend for yourself. It was fend for yourself. Yeah. How do you think that that affected the development of your testimony at a young age then? You know, it, it was interesting. So I have memories. One of my earliest memories was sitting on a church pew to the left side, one of the shorter ones, and singing Put Your Shoulder to the Wheel. And I loved that song because I couldn't read, but I could. I knew that song good enough to sing it with my whole heart. And I remember feeling the Spirit. And I remember just loving the gospel at a young age and, and loving the Lord and His work. And I think I started separating that. But I was also very obedient and a lot out of fear. Mm-hmm. So... It was hard for me as a teenager. I did get to the point where I wanted to rebel against my father particularly and prove to him that I wasn't the perfect little girl he wanted me to be. And that was sad. And I recognized pretty soon after that it was just self-destructive and it wasn't doing me any favors. And it wasn't doing what I thought it would, you know, stick it to him kind of a thing. Like it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything but hurting me. So... Ironically, I got saved from that situation with him lecturing me. and <laughs> But I could feel the spirit still because what he said was true. So I could figure out that much. I was a 
teenager when I decided I wanted to love myself and just love the Lord more authentically. I went full into that. And I do everything with either my whole heart or not at all, almost. <laughs> and so I, I practically was like married to Jesus <laughs> by the time I was 16. And so I felt like a nun. It sounds like your family situation really kind of drove you to be more obedient mm -hmm. or to seek more spiritual things in your life. Oh, yeah. And that was to get away from the maybe bad things that were going on at home? Yeah, yeah. I just remember one time I got caught standing by the swing, the tree swing, talking to a neighbor friend that just came over on a Sunday. And they thought that I was swinging on a Sunday. And I told them I wasn't. I was just talking to my friend. And I wasn't believed, and I got punished for that pretty bad. So it was hard. You know, there's that scripture of reprove in times and, you know, you follow up with love and kindness. I didn't get that part. So it was hard. But I've, as an adult now, I, I mean, I've worked on it ever since I left home, but, and I've forgiven and they've changed. They've chilled out so much. They're totally different people. You wouldn't dream of anything now. And I love them so much. I'm not super bonded with my mom, but yeah, I love my dad a lot. He really tried hard for what he knew. How have you learned to forgive them? <laughs> the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's well, the one thing. I mean, I, I can keep pushing that button all day long. I, at one point I thought, my goodness, I could, I could get a PhD in this gospel thing. My life hasn't been very balanced, actually. It's been gospel all along, all of it. So I've known I haven't been very balanced, but it's a safe place for me. And so I keep trying to branch out and, and have more variety. And I mean, I've always have had good groups of friends that aren't members of the church. And particularly I'm used to, you know, growing up in North Carolina too, I, I'm used to not having members as friends. And I'm used to standing out on my own. And so that's comfortable to me too. So I don't know. I've just, I've always had to work hard on being balanced. What do you think the toughest challenge you had growing up in that environment? What was the toughest challenge that you faced? Believing and trusting in myself and being encouraged to get an education and to, to know my worth. That must have been very, very difficult. Yeah. You know, growing up in that environment when you're not supported by your parents, mm -hmm. but now look at you where you're strong in the gospel mm -hmm. and married and in a loving family. You have overcome a lot. Yeah, yeah. Just the other day I was playing pickleball with some ladies from our ward, and I just thought, huh. I mean, there's so many great athletic people in our ward, and I was wondering, how many of them grew up doing sports and one of them mentioned how they didn't and I just think that's fascinating because I remember as a middle schooler hearing on the intercom anybody that wants to sign up for soccer meet in room 102 after school today and I thought 
oh, that sounds fun. Oh, that's for everybody else. I don't get to do that because you don't ask for anything. You don't get to do anything. Now I'm grown up and I have my own resources and my own <laughs> confidence and encouragement and I, I'm gonna sign up for pickleball lessons. <laughs> I did homeschool off and on through my early years. I don't understand what the purposes were. My parents would just pull me out of public school here and there and then I remember we moved to the city and then I did get to experience the trauma of city life and lockers and I was so overwhelmed but I figured it out and then I became to me into a groove of, of things and then they said I was too social and they pulled me out and then they said okay here's your books graduate. What are some of your fondest memories growing up? So I mentioned about sitting on the church pew and having a good time singing hymns and I would feel the spirit and feel God's love for me then. One time, my mom made me a picnic and I was just a little girl and it had, I remember, had raisins, sesame sticks, cheese, and olives. Not that they <laughs> taste good together, but it was kind of like my favorite things. And she sent me outside and I went and found a capped cement, like a water well, and I enjoyed my lunch in the sunshine coming down on me. And I felt, I just felt close to God in that I knew I was his. And my mom provided that opportunity to me. And I give her credit for those special times when I was very young. And then with my dad, I learned how to work hard. There was one time a huge tree fell over in our woods, in our forest, and the root ball was 10 feet across and we used a come-along wrench cable puller. Have you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, so it has like this hook and major cable. Okay. And somehow you wrap it around whatever you want to pull. For us, it was this huge root of a tree and we had to pull and work and dig into the ground and we did it, we won. It was a huge root ball from the tree that had just fell over and we removed it. Just me and my dad, and that was really fun. I have a lot of memories of working with my dad, and then I have memories of him telling me to work. <laughs> One time, I had to wash all the dishes in the cupboards because I complained about something, and even the clean dishes, so that was rough. And for that many dishes, for our family, that was too many, but... <laughs> and then he had saved money by doing a gravel driveway uphill to our house because he had us kids that would reshovel the whole driveway to fix the pits that would happen as you drove up. And so I learned how to work. <laughs> and then he showed me he worked hard too. And I just, I appreciate that part of, I have that ethic in me, I can work hard. And my mom taught me to be creative. I watched her do interior design and she would take me to art galleries and I grew up with an appreciation and looking for quality and beauty so those were some things that I remember that were great growing up. Well you're such an inspiration to us all the fact that you grew up in that kind of an environment and and where you are now thank you for sharing that with us because it's inspirational 
sometimes we we look at everybody in the ward and we think, oh, their lives are perfect and everybody's <laughs> great. And if it's one thing I've learned about doing this podcast is that everybody has had their struggles, mm-hmm. everybody has had their challenges, yeah, and and everybody's kind of made them through. You know, everybody's everybody's made them through, and it's truly inspirational for all of us to hear these stories because it. It helps us when we're in those moments. And I'm sure there are people listening that had that same exact experience and now they can have that connection with you. Yeah. So tell me how you got out of that environment. <laughs> when you graduated high school, when they just pulled you out Barely. and graduated, how did that happen? Well, one April of 94, I needed help with some math and this guy named Greg Fairchild had been home from his mission, had worked a year, was back home just to earn some money and hang out until his first year of school started at BYU. And my mom had taught him in seminary. My dad was his scout leader. He was a good guy. So Taryn, why don't you give him a call and see if he could be your helper, your tutor. And and so I did. And then he got into my living room and he's helping me and I'm looking at him and I'm thinking <laughs> I could get him to like me <laughs> and check him off my list of another person, another guy. <laughs> I, was a, I was a stinker. And so it was hot and we didn't have air conditioning in our house in North Carolina. So that's pretty humid too. And any opportunity we had to, oh yeah, we'll go and get bread because we get to be in the grocery store air conditioning to cool off and we'd come back and little things oh let's go play tennis oh well and then very quickly we were together all day into the evening for two and a half weeks and then the idea of marriage whoa and so every time i say this story it is i can't believe the words coming out of my mouth but it happened and he proposed to me and I said yes <laughs> after two and a half weeks. <laughs> so from first date yes. to marriage proposal was two and a half weeks? Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, is, we were just really good together and had, I don't know, like he just made me feel great. And I remember looking in his eyes and thinking, I could be happy with him for eternity. I could see that and I could feel it and I trusted it and and I followed it. And it was a kind of a situation of now or never and I took it. So we got married in the temple after a three month engagement. <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia was our assigned temple. And then from the beginning, I've supported him through his schooling and career and that's how I got out. I can tell how much you love him by just watching you tell that story. <laughs> I, <laughs> I see you tearing up a little bit, and I, it, it's just incredible to, to see. We've been married for 29 years, and I'm 47. I got married on my 18th birthday. <laughs> my dad actually did sign me away because <laughs> they had to do the paperwork the night before. <laughs> so, yeah, I had my girls promise me they wouldn't do that. <laughs> you got married in the Atlanta Temple. Mm-hmm. And after you got married, where did you move? We have few days of honeymoon in the Blue Ridge and then straight to BYU. We drove cross country and right away and then he started school. And he went to four years there Mm -hmm. and then... Actually, 
he's a above and beyond kind of person and he did it in three years he just went straight through he would do some summers just to get it over with and he realized you'd save money that way and just get to the end he tests well he doesn't enjoy schooling but he tests well <laughs> So where did you go after school then? So we went from BYU and then we went to Texas A&M because he realized, you know, he wanted a master's and he did that in 18 months. And then we went to UC Berkeley for his first job and then he got bored of that job. That's when we joined the Navy because he wanted to get into the medical or something. He just wanted to get his foot into the door and... It would only be a couple of years, and that's when it started. How did you feel about him joining the Navy? Did, were you okay oh, with that? I was, I was fine with it. I had never thought of the military ever, anything before. But no, it never occurred to me even after we were married. He was a Navy brat. So I thought, oh, cool, an adventure. We'll show the kids variety in life, and I liked that idea. What's been the best thing about being in the Navy and what's been the hardest part? So I've loved getting to move and seeing variety of cultures, even in, within America. It's been fascinating to me because I really like psychology and sociology. And it's fascinating to see how even just the different cultures within America, I think it's really, really fun to see like in Northern California versus Southern California because you know, we went to San Diego for our first duty station and then we went to Okinawa. That is heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> and I bawled like a baby on the plane when we left there. And I only felt good about leaving that place because I actually knew literally another family that was moving there and would get to experience what we got to experience. And that was the only thing that made me feel better about leaving. And then we went from there to Minnesota and Greg got his PhD there in three years. And that was a hard, crazy time because we also renovated a house built in the 70s from top to bottom, like scraping ceilings. To, I mean, just every single detail, <laughs> we did it all ourselves. It was a pain. <laughs> We're still healing from that, <laughs> but we can, we somehow we keep on buying these the worst house in the best neighborhoods and and financially it makes sense, but enough already. <laughs> I just, I'm like next next house because that's what we we keep doing. But next house, I want a I want a fresh new start. I need to be spoiled a little bit in that way. <laughs> but I've learned a lot. Like I can tile. I know what I want. I've learned what I want. So from there, we went from Minnesota to Maryland and then to Yorktown, Virginia, and then from Yorktown, Virginia up to New Hampshire and then New Hampshire to here. And it's all totally different. It's just, it's really cool how everybody's different everywhere. Yeah. What's been some of the struggles that you've had with moving around quite a bit? Okay. So I have a hard time connecting my life in a fluid line. It feels like I push the reset button a lot each time we move. When you say push the reset button, do you mm -hmm. mean you kind of reinvent yourself or you kind of reset your relationships with others or what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because people, you know, people are busy and, and if you're not there, they tend to, you know, just move on and 
there's a few people that I've been able to keep contact. We've always done the Christmas cards and if nothing else. And But it's it's more of uh, not in reinventing myself. I feel like I've been pretty consistent, but to just keep up with people having moved a lot and yeah, just starting all over, having the energy to make friends. You know, there's always the logistic part, getting new doctors. And I think that wore me down over time. Actually, that was a very challenging part because so my four children, girl, boy, boy, girl, and my two boys were divergent and to say the least. And when my first son turned eight, it started then that I started realizing I needed to get them more help. And, and so it ended up, I would get an entourage of doctors and resources and it became practically a full-time job for me to take care of them and help them have all the help they needed and that that wore me down having to keep moving and getting a new psychologist or psychiatrist and you know all the things switching over the IEPs and learning how to even get one and you know oh did you know there's such a thing as a parent advocate you can hire one and then the schools can't argue with you and you know, I would waste so much time just learning all these things. And, well, I guess I didn't waste time, but it felt like it. nothing could happen fast enough. So I think that was really the hardest part. There's so many of us that have gone through something similar mm-hmm. where you move and then you start again. And especially when you have a child that needs extra help, mm-hmm. trying to get that extra help and kind of starting that whole process over again exactly. every time you mm-hmm. move yeah. is extremely difficult yeah so I've gotten used to that and I would think maybe the next place would be better maybe I'll have new resources or something there and hope that the kids will get a fresh start the older kids loved Okinawa and that's been something we've all just like that was a sweet time in our lives together so and we actually got to go back with our oldest son and his wife raced this past year. I never thought I'd get to go back and it was so awesome. What do you think made that specific assignment so special? I think every weekend was an adventure. On the island, going spelunking, going snorkeling, going on a banana boat. There was so many adventures. The year was around 2006 and back then Okinawa, I don't know before that, but it seemed like it was in its prime. And they are just so sweet. They loved us Americans. They were just so kind and patient. I remember one time I forgot, I was sitting at a red light and I just dazed out, which you cannot do here. (laughs) 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 You can't even think about it. (laughs) But there I went through a whole red light, you guys. And I realized it and I, I was like, oh, oh dear. And I looked behind me right away and to see if anybody, if it affected anybody. And there was a guy sitting right there, an older gentleman, and he just, he never honked. We just waited together for the next green light. (laughs) (laughs) That's just one little example. But you know, it's a reminiscence of our childhood, not even coming in after dark. The kids played night games. They could run around free in the neighborhood. Oh, you need to, Go to the bathroom, go ahead, we'll be in the socks section. You know, it was just, it was really safe and pleasant. And we made great friends there. 
game nights all the time, just playing pranks on each other, just great, great fun. I had my last baby there, just crammed in so much. I was a seminary teacher, I was a young women's president, primary like Greg was in the bishopric, all these things. It was just crammed in in just three little years, <laughs> and it was awesome. Sounds like you had a fantastic assignment. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It was fun to go back. Here's what stood out to me about that assignment, which you described as, it sounds like you spent a lot of time with your family. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you spent a lot of time serving in the church. Yeah. It sounds like you had some really close friends. Yes. And when I look back on some of my assignments, those are the three things that I look back on mm -hmm. and go, you know, those are things that make a really, really great assignment mm -hmm. or, or a great time connection. in your life. And those it's, connections. It's connections. It's those connections. Yes. You're exactly right. Yeah. I think we mean more to each other than we realize. When it's all said and done, we really do think of each other and mean more to each other than we give credit. And that's why I think this podcast was inspired by the bishop because mm -hmm. he's trying to help us make those connections. Mm -hmm. And I learned in Okinawa to see the person. You only have limited shopping there. You know, you could order online, but it wasn't like people today. So I would forget what's the latest whatever clothes and whatnot. I would just see the person and get to know them and love them and it was just wonderful. And I remember after coming back to the States and being overwhelmed with the plethora of options and it was a culture shock coming back and, and I was like, oh yeah, I should check out the girls' shoes next time I go to Relief Society <laughs> just so I can, I can get back up to date. <laughs> But I learned there, I appreciated learning there to just see the person's soul first and then everything else is extra. You talked about early on how you were very, very religious, very spiritual. Mm -hmm. You earned a testimony or gained a testimony at a very young age. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you've done to help your testimony grow or what are some experiences that you've had over the last few years as you've been older that have helped your testimony to grow? From the beginning of being a young adult till New Hampshire, I have always been in demanding leadership callings, and I have given my whole soul to those callings. And it's been easy for me to search the scriptures, to dig deep for other people's benefit. And I think that that's helped me rely on the Lord, because I would say, hey Lord, these kids are yours first. Tell me what you want. And that way I wouldn't get stressed out. One time I was a, a seminary teacher and I remember like thinking, oh, you know, putting pressure on myself thinking about how I need to give them all the spiritual juice before they enter the rest of their hard day. <laughs> and it was just, I put too much pressure on myself. And I remember thinking, okay, they're yours first and then just do your best. But yeah, I've had some pretty incredible callings and I love serving the Lord. I have always loved it. I feel like I've become to know my potential, the measure of my creation in that way. And it's been very complimentary that the Lord has trusted me with that. And I think through living that, I've gained more of a testimony. That's interesting because as I've interviewed people, people tell me things very similar to what you just said. Mm -hmm. But some people have told me 
that in this ward it, it's maybe slightly more difficult to do that yeah. because we have so many fantastic yeah. people yeah. Very and, competent. and the work very competent yeah. and the work the service work is divided amongst so many people yeah. because we have just such fantastic members mm -hmm. that some people have told me that it's more difficult to get involved because mm -hmm. their callings aren't as demanding demanding as yeah. they were before, yeah. which is a great thing because yeah. everybody's pitching in and everybody's mm -hmm. doing a lot of work, mm -hmm. but it makes it a little bit more difficult to make that connection. Do you mm -hmm. find that totally. true? Yeah. How, yeah. how have you dealt with that? So it's actually, it's kind of wild timing though, because my second favorite place than Okinawa was New Hampshire. I love New England area. It was very peaceful and chill place to live and charming, very charming. But I got the opportunity to serve a lot there. I was a Relief Society president to a, a ward with about 50 women, but it, it was more spread out than it is here. And so it was a contrast. And another contrast was I had just lost my third child to suicide. And so things kind of sped up with me also looking at empty nesting soon. And so I feel like I have a couple whammies against me where I'm like looking at my identity as a woman that's not full-time motherhood anymore and that has been my life. I'm healing from losing my son and I've been given super duper easy callings <laughs> that are just like icing. So I've had to reconsider and that's why I've waited this long to actually do this podcast so I could say some helpful things. And, and, and I've come to the point of this is a great place to heal for me. I can speak for that. There's loving people. And it's given me time to not be burnt out <laughs> and to actually think, reconsider my testimony in now I've been able to ask myself, why do I do what I do? Because I've not really paid attention to myself really in so many years. Or if ever, actually. I don't know. But so I feel like. focused on others. Yeah, my whole life. And so now I feel like, whoa, people kept saying, oh, take care of yourself, take care of yourself. I'm like, what does that really mean? And I've had time to dive into that and I'm really figuring it out and I feel that I have opportunities to be more balanced here and now. You mentioned your child that committed suicide. Mm -hmm. Actually, I like to say died by suicide because committed gives a connotation of criminal thing and so I like to share that there is a difference. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm. You mentioned that, and I was wondering if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about how you got through that. Well, because that's a significant challenge. It's, it's and incredible. Hopefully, it's, we don't have anybody in that situation, but how did you deal with that? Yeah, so I had done leading up to things, everything I could as a mom that I exhausted myself with trying to get help and resources. And, and proving to him that I loved him and um, 
and and we were blessed with enough time that through it all that he loved me and Greg back and I'm just really grateful for that piece and we were in the groove when it happened otherwise we were serving and helping and doing it all and working the gospel and it saved us it was like a we fell and we fell hard but we landed on a soft pillow and that pillow was only there because of living the gospel we didn't have to hurry and try to put oil in our lamps or anything like that we were already doing the best we could and we had an incredible bond that was special i think the timing of my calling was particularly significant because I had proven my love to these people and and then they could love me back. And that's where I learned to receive love for the first time. Because I used to be one of those, oh, I'm fine, I don't need anything, don't visit me or whatever, and, you know, self-sufficiency. But, no, not, not, not in that. And, um, and our home became a sacred place. And it became a little heaven on a cloud after that. And it was because of the people came in and loved us. You know, the community, I had so many, I had—I actually there, I did have a lot of good balance in New Hampshire. I had several different groups of things going on. And, you know, I was working in the schools. I had volunteer things going on, just so many so many different fun things going on and despite the the hard thing and that's what kept me going and it kept me going even after for a good year and then then we moved here and I think COVID didn't help because <laughs> I was just getting to make some connections moving here and you know, I was like, okay, here you go. You've done this. You know, you moved. You, you know how to make friends. And But, you know, COVID gave me time to... It gave me time to go to a dark place, actually, <laughs> that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I'm now actually... I don't know. I can't, I can't say the words yet, but I have learned from it. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't say the grateful word. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned from it. <laughs> Um, but I did. I, I ended up going in a, to a very dark place myself. And I ended up actually going to check in at the hospital last summer. And I, I hit rock bottom. And that's when I cleared my slate. And I've started reconstructing myself. Because I wanted to discover, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but reach out to my son and see if I could still save him somehow and and I realized I needed to just save myself at this point and that's where I am now and I know that he wants me to be happy and to let go because I was determined to walk through hell with him and come out smiling holding his hand but he chose differently but I know that 
had we not been his parents, maybe he wouldn't have lasted as long and had, he actually had a testimony to his very last minute. I know he knew God loved him and um, it was just rough, but yeah, that's how I've come through. So I'm reconstructing myself now and I'm, I've been asking, why do I do what I do over and over with everything? And even though I have that testimony and habits of my previous life, I feel like I've pushed that reset button again. My mind has been clear and I'm just like a baby in the gospel all over. It's different, but it's exhilarating because I've got the right answer. I've got the goodness in my life and I need to just take hold of it all over again, but it's in a different way. And so I'm learning so much. And I love that. And I love the reassurance that I can count on through it too. Your story is so inspirational. I mean, when you look back at some of the challenges that you had growing up, your family, mm -hmm. to the challenges that you've had with moving mm -hmm. and the struggles that you've had with your children mm -hmm. and the significant challenge that you, that you went through as a family with the loss of your child, mm -hmm. your story is just so inspirational. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I, I love talking about Jonathan. I wonder a lot since people didn't get to experience who he was and know how gentle and sweet he was, that here you're just seeing the leftovers. <laughs> and it's a bummer that way. But just know that he brings me so much joy still, just remembering and I love talking about him. And I love getting to share anything I can to help other people lift them up in their hard times. And if I can spare them any pain or just validate. So what gets you excited? What lights you up? I am a creator and I come from a dual line of artists. So I love interior design and helping decorate for parties. And it's all about, again, connection with people and making a difference in their lives. I bake, I bake cakes for certain people if they ask me, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> but I also, I enjoy volunteering, making cakes per requests for Cake for Kids. It's a local charity organization that I learned through Just Serve. And it's for kids that are in difficult situations where they might be at a women's shelter or foster care and things like that, that they still have birthdays and maybe they wouldn't get celebrated otherwise. So they get to put in their requests and I donate whatever their request is, but I don't ever see them or anything. I just deliver the cake and walk away and it's nice. And then I just love being with people and children and dragon boat racing makes me competitive. <laughs> and that's what I picked up in Okinawa. But I am not a competitive person, but when it comes to dragon boat racing, all the Okinawan men in the community, we were number one. We were like the Navy women team and we beat everyone. It was awesome. The, the festival is a big deal there. And we trained in the ocean early, early, early dark. And I cut out all my sugar and I had the edge and it was so fun and I was competitive. <laughs> and I'm actually working now to get to that point because we're going to be here for several years. 
we have a dragon boat racing here in the area. So that's my new goal. And then just having cool ideas with my husband, like organizing dinner clubs or renovating someone else's home (laughs) 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 so they can feel good while they might be distracted with other problems. Yeah, those are my happy places. So I know you love hymns. Mm -hmm. What are some of your favorite hymns? So I'm a girl raised in the South and I have attended some Black Baptist churches and I love Go Tell It on the Mountain, but it has to be the right version of it. It has to be the South, the Southern version. And I get into that. And then otherwise it's The Lord is My Light. Why is that one one of your favorites? Because it describes my life pretty much and how I can trust Him. And He does light me up and give me strength to be relentless and appreciate what I have. Looking back as you've gone through this and gone through these struggles that you've had, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you would want to tell your great-great-grandkids? You know, a hundred years from now, what would you tell them? What advice would you want to give them? That's interesting because I hope that they might be involved with this church because my children actually have all left the church. So it'd be cool if they're spiritual people, <laughs> if nothing else, because I think spirituality is the bomb. <laughs> and it's good for the soul. But I, I take worshiping and serving other people personally and seriously in that you can find yourself and find out who you are. And it is transformative and ultra-personal. And I think that that's transformative and a part of life where if you keep learning and you are relentless, I think that that'll be enough to get through whatever they have unique to them and putting your whole heart into things. And if things aren't working out, then I don't know. I trust myself and I hope that they would trust themselves and just be happy with who they are and enjoy sharing themselves with other people too. And I think that it's all going to work out. It will all work out and it'll be a fun party later. Be relentless. Mm -hmm. Be spiritual. Mm -hmm. Enjoy one another. Serve others. Mm -hmm. Those are great words of wisdom. Yeah, because, you know, it's all about the connection and... I mean, why did Christ do what he did anyway? Because he's so connected to us. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Taryn, it has been so great. You are truly a special part of our ward, and we really are truly grateful that you're part of our congregation. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful. Thank you. It's great to get to know you more. (laughs) That's all we have time for for this edition of Rolling Valley Stories. We really appreciate you listening in and we'll see you next time.